How you guys doing today? Oh, wow. You guys, you guys have been up, uh, this is a lot later in the day. Come on, you can do better than that. How are you guys doing today? All right, all right. First service was louder. I don't, come on now. All right, so while I myself am so glad to be here as your brother in Christ to bring you this message, I got to tell you, I myself am incredibly challenged by it. I'm convicted by this word on all fronts as it sheds light on the idolatry in my own life, past and present. The Word of God has eviscerated the very notion in my life that I'm okay with who I am, with, the devotion, with my devotion to God. This summer we've been talking about certain characters who scripture and culture would deem, as, well, as culture would deem as unusable. And this morning we will look at the young child king, Josiah. By no means was this youth in any position to be a ruler of the nation. He was too young, and at eight years old, had taken the throne of Judah. To make matters worse, his fathers before him were many of them evil and wicked men who had done terrible things in the sight of the Lord. And when thinking about Josiah, I cannot help but make a uh, kind of a comparison to my oldest son, Owen, who is turning eight next month. He's smart, funny, wild, and absolutely not ready to rule a nation. <laughs> if my wife and I had abdicated our position in our home to him this morning or today or this week, and within days we would be in judicial and financial ruin. <laughs> of his, and his reign would consist of video games, dirt-stained threads, and cheeseburgers. Josiah inherited the throne at a time when the nation of Israel had been split into two separately autonomous nations, the kingdom of Judah to the south and the kingdom of Israel to the north. Now, all you engineers out there, I made this, so you're looking for scale, I'm sorry. However, after the first service, I had an engineer come to me and say it was good. So I guess we're all right. <laughs> now, this split was an act of judgment declared by God against Solomon son of David, and rendered against his son, Rehoboam. Solomon was indeed a wise and very, and he was very blessed by God. However, he directly and deliberately disobeyed the laws of God, which culminated in the worship of other gods in temples and the high places. He also oversaw the construction of the altars in the Valley of Hinnom. It is in this place that living children were taken and burnt on altars as sacrifice to the evil Ammonite god, Molech. Scriptures say that God would raise up numerous adversaries against Solomon for the rest of his hollow days. But God would have temporal mercy on Solomon, not because of him, but because of David. And he would not take the throne directly from him, but instead his offspring. Idolatry not only destroyed Solomon's heart, but it, the very nation of Israel fell into corruption as the plague of idolatry took hold of them. Idolatry is the exchange of the creator for the created thing. Idolatry has plagued upon mankind both then and now. If you were part of your, our judges' study this past semester, you got a maddening look at the destructive nature of idolatry as the people of Israel continued to turn away from God and do what was right in their own eyes. God takes idolatry seriously. 
It is so serious to God that he made the leading point of emphasis in his Decalogue to the people of Israel as he reminded them of who he is and what he has done. Deuteronomy 5, 6 through 9 says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself in the shape of anything in the heavens, above or on the earth, below or in the waters, under the earth. Do not bow in worship to them, and do not serve them, because I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, bringing consequences of the Father's iniquity on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. Mankind cannot serve two masters, and yet time and time again, the people of Israel, due to their disobedience and lack of faith, made idols and worshipped them and quickly forgot about the one who had taken them out of the land of the Egyptians and placed them into the promised land. Mankind has turned its back on God and placed other things before him. And we do the same exact thing today. Of course, the usual prime suspects pop up when we think about modern examples of idolatry as if they're somehow, they're exclusive to us today. There's the love of money, sex, drugs, and politics. Now hear me, church, there is nothing inherently wrong with money, sex, in the biblical context, sports, or even politics. However, it is my heart posture towards them that can lead me into idolatry. For example, I can work every day for the glory of God. Or in the negative, every day I can seek my own glory in my work. I can have sexual intimacy with my spouse that fulfills God's design for a biblical marriage to his glory. Or I can be bent on sex, constantly satisfying my own desires with my thoughts and actions. In both of these cases, in the glorification of God in the affirmative, means submitting to God and God's authority in obedience. It's also the kind of idolatry that creeps in like a snake in the tall grass. The worship of ourselves or other people that culture has deemed important. How easy is it to make my life about me? In tandem with the worship of ourselves is the heinous creation and altered versions of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In an effort to make his message more palatable, we reject those things that are deemed too strong or too hard until the Jesus that we worship no longer resembles the Jesus in Scripture, but looks more like me. And it's naive to think that these things don't walk through these doors every morning on Sunday, sitting down next to you and listening to me speak right now. Idolatry is the exchange of the creator for the created thing, and it always ends badly. Things are no different today than they were in the generations following the split of Israel and the exile of the northern kingdom of Israel into captivity. In a frustratingly long line of failed kings, Josiah's father and grandfather were no exception. His grandfather, Messiah, had inherited the throne from Hezekiah, his father, at 12 years old. Now, Hezekiah himself was a good king, but Manasseh would turn the people of Judah back into darkness. 
He rebuilt the altars and the false gods and the high places for the Baals. And he built the Asherah poles for pagan forms of worship. He built altars in the house of the Lord for a pantheon of false gods. He offered his own sons on altars as burnt sacrifice in the valley of Hinnom. And he often delved into the use of dark arts. Perhaps the most damning thing that I could say about his reign comes from verse 9 of 2 Kings chapter 21. Manasseh caused them to stray so that they did worse evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. Just let that sink in for a second. Thankfully, Manasseh was humbled by God and repented. He reigned 55 years as king of the southern kingdom of Judah. After Manasseh came the reign of Ammon, whose reign would be a short two years, starting at the age 22, but he did not let that hold him back. Scriptures say that his grilt, sorry, much like his father, he sacrificed to the false gods and served them. And Scripture says that his guilt grew more and more, so much so that his servants conspired against him and assassinated him, only to have the people of Judah rise up and strike them down and place Josiah into power. And it is here that we'll pick up our text for today in 2 Kings chapter 22. Now, we'll be referencing 2 Chronicles 34 to kind of give us a zoomed-out picture of everything that Josiah was doing. But our assigned reading is going to be 2 Kings 22. And it is there we come to Jerusalem 640 years before the birth of Christ. 2 Kings 22, 1 through 2. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, and the daughter of Adiah. She was from Buscath. He did what was right in the Lord's sight and walked in the ways of his ancestor, David. He did not turn to the right or to the left. In 2 Chronicles 34, Scripture reads that in the eighth year of his reign, making him about 16 years old at the time, he sought after God, and by the twelfth year had begun to cleanse and destroy the idols of Baal and the altars of the false gods and the Asherah throughout the northern ruins, leading all the way up to Naphtali and also in Judah and Jerusalem. Things get even more interesting in 2 Kings as we get the detailed look into these accounts. 2 Kings 22, verses 8 through 11, speaks about a secretary named Shaphan who was sent by Josiah to pay workers on work that was be done, being done on a um, kind of a reconstruction of the temple. Verses 8 through 11, The high priest Hilkai told the court secretary Shaphan, I have found the book of the law in the Lord's temple. And he gave the book to Shaphan, who read it. Then the court secretary, Shaphan, went to the king and reported, Your servants have emptied out the silver that was found in the temple and have given it to those doing the work, those who oversee the Lord's temple. Then the court secretary, Shaphan, told the king, The priest Hilkai has given me a book. And Shaphan read it in the presence of the king, and when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes." Josiah repented. And if you're not familiar with ancient contests, the tearing of one's clothes was to show deep mourning, sorrow, and lament. This is critical as we can see that it is never too late to repent. A lot like a rudder on a boat, a small turn at the helm can change the course and alter your heading. 
In verse 13, Josiah is seeking word from the Lord, and he sends, tells Hilkai and others this, Go and inquire of the Lord for me, for the people, and for all Judah about the words in the book that has been found. For great is the Lord's wrath that is kindled against us, because our ancestors have not obeyed the words of this book, in order to do everything written about us. Now, taking a kind of a step back, scholars believe in all likelihood that the book that was found was indeed the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy was Moses' last dissertation to the people of Israel as they went off into the promised land, telling them about God's commands and a book for them that would guide them through their lives. Now, the importance of Deuteronomy for the kings is made very apparent in one particular section, Deuteronomy 17, 18 through 20. When he's seated on his royal throne, he is to write a copy of this instruction for himself on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. It is to remain with him and is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to observe all the words of this instruction and to do these statutes. Then his heart will be exalted above, won't be exalted above his countrymen. He will not turn from this command to the right or to the left. And he and his sons will continue reigning many years in Israel. So what if they had? Would Solomon have gathered many wives unto himself and worshipped their gods as depicted in 1 Kings chapter 11? Deuteronomy 17, 17, speaking of kings, he must not acquire many wives for himself so that his heart won't go astray. He must not acquire very large amounts of silver and gold for himself. Would Solomon, Manasseh, Amon, and so many others like them have done wickedly in the sight of the Lord as they worship? But Deuteronomy, once again, chapter 4, verses 15 through 19. Diligently watch yourselves, because you do not, did not see any form on that day the Lord spoke to you out of the fire at Horeb. So you don't act corruptly and make an idol for yourselves in the shape of a figure, male or female, or any form of an animal on the earth, any winged creature that flies in the sky, any creature that crawls on the ground, or any fish in the waters under the, under the earth. And when you look to the heavens and see the sun, moon, and stars, all the stars in the sky, do not be led astray to bow and worship to them and serve them. The Lord your God has provided them for all people everywhere under the heaven. Idolatry is the exchange of the creator for the created thing. And it always leads us into disobedience. Josiah knew he needed to hear from the Lord, and they sought the prophetess Huldah. And the Lord spoke to her and confirmed what he indeed would one day pour out his wrath on Judah for its wickedness. Even going so far as to say this, my wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. That's severe. We know that God's wrath would, in fact, be poured out on Judah, Early in the 6th century BC, God would hand Jerusalem and the people of Judah over to a foreign power, the Neo-Babylonian Empire. However, God sees the heart of Josiah as only God can and gives mercy to the people, if only for a short time. Verses 18 through 20, 
So this to the, say this to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord. This is what the Lord God of Israel says. As for the words that you heard, because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would, come, they would become a desolation and a curse. And because you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I myself have heard. This is the Lord's declaration. Therefore, I will indeed gather you to your ancestors, and you will be gathered to your grave in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster that I am bringing on this place. Then they reported to the king. Josiah was granted mercy because Josiah was penitent. This emboldened Josiah with a righteous zeal for the Lord. So he purged Judah of its wickedness, as depicted in 2 Kings chapter 23. Josiah gathers all the people of Judah together and all the elders of the land, and he reads aloud the book that had been found for all to hear. And he makes a covenant with the Lord and to do all the words of the book and its statutes. And all the people followed him in that covenant. And then Josiah acted. Verses 4 and 5 from 20, chapter 23. Then the king commanded the high priest Hilkai and the priests of the second rank and the doorkeepers to bring out the Lord's sanctuary all the articles made for Baal, Asherah, and all the stars in the sky. He burned them outside Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. Then he did away with the idolatrous priests the kings of Judah had appointed to burn incense at the high places in the cities of Judah and the areas surrounding Jerusalem. They had burned incense to Baal and to the sun, moon, constellations, and all the stars in the sky. In short form, Josiah destroyed the idols of the shrines of the false gods and deposed of those who would follow them. And perhaps one of the most signifying things about Josiah's reign, for me at least, is found in verse 10. He defiled Topheth, which is in the valley of of the Ben-Hinnom Valley, so that no one could sacrifice their son or daughter in the fires to Molech. Josiah put an end to the abominations that were taking place in Judah and Samaria. God was indeed doing a great work through him. And a fascinating little fact that we find in verses 16 through 18 just, show, just goes to show how much God is at work. As Josiah turned, he saw the tombs there on the mountain. He sent someone to take the bones out of the tombs, and he burned them on an altar. He defiled it according to the word the Lord had proclaimed by the man of God who proclaimed these things. Then he said, What is this monument I see? The men of the city told him, It is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed these things that you have done at the altar to Bethel. So he said, let him rest. Don't let anyone disturb his bones. So they left his bones undisturbed with the bones of the prophet that came from Samaria. The prophet that scripture references here is an unnamed man approximately 300 years prior that prophesied about Josiah by name and all that he would enact in his reforms. His account is found in 1 Kings chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. And lastly, and in summary, upon Josiah's return to Jerusalem, he restored the feast of the Passover as God had commanded it in Deuteronomy 16.
Don't miss the gravity of what's taking place here. God took the heir to a failed, broken lineage and used him to bring about what had been one of the most great, one of the greatest reformations of God's chosen people. Josiah may have looked unusable on the outside, but God knew his heart and did a mighty thing, thing through him that no other man had yet dared to do. God was serious about the worship of his name and was deeply concerned about the acts of his chosen people and the object of their worship. As further evidence of God's punishment of, uh, <clears throat> of, for idol worship, God would allow Judah to come into destruction under the hands of a foreign power shortly thereafter. Now the question I have for us today is this. Has God stopped caring? Does God care if we give him the scraps of our attention each week while we fill our lives with every imaginable thing? Does God care that I am a prideful man that often has sought the approval for my own, of other men for my own glory rather than working for the Lord and his glory? And I'm going to be honest with you, this is an area that I struggle with day in, day out, every waking morning as my pride overcomes me. And it leads me to sin. Does God care that we set ourselves at the center of our own story while we regulate God to his corner and we pull up to him like a drive through window just so we can feel better about our disobedience? Does God care if we alter the character and nature of Christ to better suit our own ungodly bias and agendas? The answer to these questions can be summed up in one single verse. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If we serve a God that is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, then God still cares about the hearts of his chosen people and their worship. Maybe you find yourself trapped in an idolatrous relationship with pride, money, sex, or even yourself. You don't feel rest until someone has told you how great you are. And if you don't get it, you feel empty. Your life and joy is maximizing your paycheck and self-worth, which undoubtedly has robbed you of the peace and joy that you were seeking with your work to begin with. Maybe you're seeking the next sexual high in your life. It has started so small, and now you are consumed by it because you have exchanged what God has said in his word about biblical marriage for a lie that mankind has concocted to fill a void that wasn't ours to fill. Are you the main character in your life, or is God the sole focus of your life and worship? Lastly, is the Christ in your life the one found in the, books of, in the book of Scripture? Or can you best describe Christ by describing yourself? Church, get real with yourself. This is not a moment to fake yourself out and keep believing a lie, because if you're anything like me, you fail at loving the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And it's daily. If you're anything like me, you might say, I have time to get it right. I am fine. No, you don't have time. You're not all right. Think about Solomon. Solomon spent his, life, his early years worshiping and dedicating his life to God. God made him wise and gave him riches beyond measure. But he took those things 
and it consumed his heart and it destroyed him. Every day that you allow idolatry to control your heart is another day that it has consumed you and pulled you farther apart from God. Idolatry is like an infection. And once it sets in, and it will set upon an open wound. And at first, you might not notice it until it starts to fester. And the longer you leave it, the more painful it is to remove. And if left untreated, it will begin to spread into more areas of your life and corrupt you in more ways than you know and will lead you unto death. God should and needs to be the foundation of all things. Furthermore, if God is the foundation of our lives, then everything we do can be to his glory. In other words, our pleasure will be to bring him honor and glory in our tasks and work. For his glory, we can be satisfied in him through the work that he has given us to do. For his glory, our enjoyment of sexual intimacy within the biblical context can be complete, and it can be completed in a holy design that God himself has designed for us to enjoy. Now, I'm talking to everybody here, married, single, divorced, uh, widowed, I don't care who you are. Our culture has spoken about sex more than we do. And it's a lie that they've spread. God has spoken his word about his design. We will see how God is using us for his purposes and have joy in doing the good work that God has set forth for us to do. And finally, we will be able to enjoy, joyfully submit to the authority of Christ and be fulfilled in him as we abide in him. So what does it look like? How can I reject idolatry and devote myself to God and his commands? This is where Josiah's story becomes an excellent example for us all. Confess to the Lord your idolatry and repent. Or in other words, turn away from these things. Submit yourselves to the authority of the Lord and your God and his commands. Make him the foundation of all that you do and do it for his glory. Church, it's my turn to get real with you. You're gonna fail and I fail every single day. And more times than not, it's gonna feel like you're fighting an uphill battle. And you can't, you just feel like you're never gonna win. You're never gonna love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. But there is hope. If you are in Christ, your righteousness is not your own. Christ did those things. Christ fulfilled them. Christ loved the Lord your God with all his heart, all his soul, and all his might. And it is his righteousness instead of our own that is imputed on us. And God's renewed mercies never cease. Lamentations 3, 21 through 24 says this, yet I call this to mind and therefore I have hope because the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish. For his mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. God's eternal attributes are unchanging and immutable. And so is his mercy. Do you feel unusable? 
Do you need renewed mercy this morning? Do you need to lay your battle with idolatry at his feet and confess to the Lord, God, I can't do this anymore. I need Christ. Don't wait. Get serious with your sin. Surrender it to God and just watch him do a mighty work in your life. Thank you.